Welcome to the discussion, Technology and Great Power Competition, sponsored by Palantir. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. My guest today is Colonel Joe O'Callaghan, the Fire Support Officer for the Army's 18th Airborne Corps. Colonel O'Callaghan, thanks for taking the time to join us. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for interviewing. Let me just add a little context for our discussion. The Defense Department has been on a journey in earnest to take advantage of artificial intelligence capabilities since really it launched the Joint AI Center in 2019. The Jake has helped the military services and defense agencies build capabilities, promote adoption to accelerate the adoption of AI across every aspect of the military's war fighting and business operations. And now it's actively seeking the best ways to solve problems. Now underlying those operations and war fighting challenges is of course, data. The services have started to operationalize AI through data by crossing real and imaginary boundaries, by interacting with disparate data sets to serve up intelligence and operational data sets across the battle space, and by orchestrating AI capabilities at a strategic operational and tactical level. The Army's 18th Airborne recently completed an exercise that demonstrated many of these AI and data capabilities. And to, learn, and to learn more about Scarlet Dragon, we turn to Colonel Joe Callahan, the Fire Support Officer for the Army's 18th Airborne Corps. Now, let me just start at the beginning because I love the name. Let me start there. And I love the fact that the military has gotten creative in names. I wrote a story just recently about the Navy and all their different names, Operation Cattle Herd and, 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 and so many other ones. So I'm, I'm glad to see that you know, the Air Force is having fun with Kessel Run and Kobayashi Maru. So Scarlet Dragon, another great name. What is it? It just concluded in early October. Discuss it, the goals. Just give me a little bit of background. Hey, Jason. It really appreciate you digging into this. So Scarlet Dragon. Um, is a quarterly event that we run here on Fort Bragg. And really what it's allowing us to do is train on the mission essential tasks associated with the uh, Army's Global Response Force component, which is known as the 18th Airborne Corps. So the Corps here, representative of about 90,000 soldiers, is charged with uh, rapid early entry into any theater uh, and specifically joint forcible entry. And we do that with our 82nd Airborne Division. Uh, the 18th Airborne Corps is unique in that sense, um, and if you were to follow the history of the Corps in the last two years, anything from the demise of Qasem Soleimani to the recent uh, events at Kabul International Airport, the Corps power projected in a matter of hours globally. And so to that point, um, we also tend to harness the, the most ready technology uh, the quickest, because modern warfare today is really about decisions, and decisions are predicated on the concepts of data, data fabrics, and how do you get that information rapidly to a decision maker with enough context so you can execute what you need to do? Now, as we move out of 20 years of coin um, operations uh, and back to large and really back to a focus on large scale combat operations, uh, the 18th Airborne Corps in conjunction with 2MEF, uh, the uh, Navy's uh, Information Warfare Development Command up at, at Norfolk, uh, and as well as also uh, the Air Force uh, 53rd Wing and others have really embarked on how do we do our job better by harnessing data to get us towards true data-centric warfare. And this has been an evolution that we've been doing through the Scarlet Dragon uh, quarterly exercises where we started initially with, could we harness AI? Then we moved on to, could we do multi-domain? How do we do the multi-domain? Do we grow that out? How do we really, um, take the lessons of the two former Scarlet Dragons and go on to Scarlet Dragon 3, which really made us understand that AI, data, and JADC2 are all chapters in the same book. And then finally, we moved forward to Scarlet Dragon 4, which is the, the, the most recent, 
um, acknowledging that uh, Army Corps also need to be joint task force capable um, and support uh, the different components. And now that's a unique change. We're no longer doing uh, exercises, Army exercises for Army purposes. What we understand is that in a joint environment, um, all the services are intimately combined and we pull the best capabilities out of each other. Um, and data is a large part of that, right? Because the Army doesn't just produce data, the Navy produces data, the Air Force produces data. And so how do we get to a point where we are able to harness artificial intelligence to cull through that data, get access to that data, harness that data through AI, produce what we need out of the AI there, and then make decisions rapidly. And that's moving us forward and allowing us through each Scarlet Dragon uh, to get better and better and better as we um, continually really do what cores do best and that's shaping operations. Now, to, just to add a little bit to that, the name Scarlet Dragon really comes out of two things. Uh, it's, it's the color of the artillery, field artillery in the Army and the Marine Corps, scarlet, right? And then the, the scarlet color that the Marine Corps uses. And so since our first partners were with 2nd Meth uh, down at Camp Lejeune, uh, we, we chose the name Scarlet Dragon to be representative of the fact that this truly isn't just the, the Army. This is a, a joint effort uh, by a community, really, of the willing. You mentioned that this is the fourth time Scarlet Dragon kind of the exercise happened. And it began back in 2020. What have you learned? How have you kind of progressed? You talked about the, the really the, the, the cold data, make you send it through the AI algorithms and then make those decisions more rapidly. Is that, is that how you're kind of measuring the success? How quickly you can put live fire on target to do what? Like what, what is the end, end, end result you're aiming for? Yeah, it's interesting. So what we wanted to do is, and I go back to those mission essential tasks, those that we have as the 18th Airborne Corps, the air component has and the penetration of an IAS to, to deliver us the, the emerging tasks of the Navy and then the tasks that the, the, air, the Marine Corps have. And we all have our typical tasks. The question is, how can we do them better, quicker? You know, it's more about decision advantage than anything else. The AI is seductive. It's interesting. People gravitate towards it. But, but really what this is about is how do we compress the workflows that we are doing to go at the speed of machine, harnessing machine to machine communications aided by that AI so that that human is rapidly making the decision. And so that really brings us to what have we learned. Um, you know, it's interesting in Scarlet Dragon 3, well, Scarlet Dragon 2, we knew we were onto something with how quickly we could make decisions. So Scarlet Dragon 3, we tried to say, okay, I, I want to see how many targets I can detect in an hour. And so what we found out is we absolutely flooded uh, the, the legacy processes of humans to execute it. And we realized this is not about how many targets I can develop. It's about decisions. And so what we had realized in, in Scarlet Dragon 2 saying, hey, we can make all these decisions. Let's make it into targets. We realized it, in the end it's truly, truly about decisions. And so the AI enables us to make leaps and bounds, quicker decisions than we ever had before, as well as also harness concepts that we hadn't really truly brought in in the past, such as the, you know, the emerging hybrid space layer between commercial industry and, and government, where we bring all those sensors together, together to give us true multi-domain awareness. Um, we never really thought our way through what does a joint task force have to provide to, say, submarines, uh, acknowledging that 
a sub is an absolutely critical component and has targets in, in a, of a joint task force and has targets that it has to go after, say, penetrating somebody's shoreline. And so all these things began to emerge. And what we found as we did the autopsy of, of every Scarlet Dragon was we were doing a few things. Increasing decision speed caused us to relook what the human roles were in standard workflows. We had to evolve from, from serial processing workflows to parallel processing workflows. And indeed, from there, raise the demand signals through all the departments that effectively, you know, serial technology is, is, is by and gone. We understood that the days of a common operating picture are gone. You, you, you no longer have a cop and a SIP. You have an integrated user experience because you have to interact with that data. And it's, it's, it's fascinating that science fiction really is almost a precursor to what you're working with. And so you're mining, how do you present that data to a human being in the sense that they can understand it and make decisions and mine rapidly behind it? And so I think the final thing we learned was that a lot of times industry had been moving down. We're going to create AI for analysts. And that ended up being the wrong way of doing business. You had to create AI for a workflow, for the operator, for the decision maker and then retool what the analyst actually does. So an analyst no longer saying target development is, is really the guy who's plugging through and chugging information. He's no longer spending hours looking at an image. He's actually the supervisor because the AI is doing the jobs that routinely were done by, or the rote jobs that were routinely done uh, by young soldier sailors, airmen, Marines, and guardians. And so now we, we can fly through that and process that data rapidly. And so we, we've taken a unique, uh, a neat, unique view towards workflows and AI utilization. Don't build it for an analyst, build it for an operator, but build the ability for the analyst to be on the loop. Now they're in the loop right now. Objectively, we're going to get on the loop. <clears throat> the other thing we've been really working with and acknowledge is AI is hard. You, you know, when you sit down and talk to people about AI, they, they treat it like salt. I want to sprinkle a little AI on this, a little AI on that. And that's true. And there's, there's value in that but that's wave top. You have to really dig into AI. And so when you dig into AI, AI is about data. And this gets back to this whole concept of data is, is really the heart of everything we're working with. And so we've had to harness that data as we really look to what is a data fabric for the core or for the army or for the joint force. How do we label that data? How do we secure that data so that it's not penetrated by a foreign entity? And how do we utilize that data for our workflows or for our AI as it develops. All right, a lot there to unpack. Let me maybe take a half a step back. And I, I think the one thing you said that was is really important here is number one, AI for not analysts, but for the workflow for the decision maker. Did that require kind of a change of, of look, a change of kind of viewpoint that, that you had to take as you're setting up these systems? Because you're right. So much of this AI, so much of the data is is for the person or the 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 group that is saying is putting the pieces together. But really, it's it's the end result that you really want to get that too. Did that require you all to change your approach in some way or change your thinking? Yeah, absolutely. And it really it challenges a lot of people's uh, understanding of what their job is. And so you know, you spend millions of dollars in teaching a kid, hey your job is to take these two intelligence sources, fuse them, and then provide them to somebody who puts it out in a product. 
that product goes out in a periodic format and then decisions are made from that. What we're doing is we're comprising, we're, 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 we're getting to the point where we're converging the intelligence role to the operations role in many cases. And so to that point, the analyst has to now look not to necessarily under, you know, to look at something and, and make a decision on what he's looking at. He has to look at what the flow of the data is. Is the data also of the right level? Are the AI models um, that are being utilized, have they been trained to the appropriate levels to, to conduct the initial analysis? And at that point, he's basically supervising and checking it and say, yep, it's good to go. And so what does this really mean? Well, what this really means is that say a traditional legacy analysis of a GeoInt product would, would require a human to look at something for 40 minutes and say seven gigabytes of bandwidth. But if you can get that down to say 15 kilobytes of bandwidth and it's being done in one minute, um, then you've made significant gains. And that's what we're seeing really arise out of Scarlet Dragon. And so I draw attention to the fact that um, when you can do that, you can also have multiple analysts working concurrently. And now concurrently, if they're able to, if they're fusing the products with the AI in this common environment, this, 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 this UI UX, this interoperable user experience, then you're moving at the speed of machines. And then the decision is made. And then instead of having to go through a typical human picking that up, making a phone call to send that something or, or air gapping it to another computer, the command is issued right from the UI UX to whatever strike platform is, is going after the target. And so what we've seen is, is, a, is a significant compression in the threads um, that were typically there for any kind of mission. Um, and it's really causing people to, in some cases, have an identity crisis um, as they understand and learn how data flows um, and then retool themselves for a higher echelon. And, and so this is really something that um, on the ops side also, you were used to traditionally getting a 12 hour, 24 hour product. Now you're telling it, now you're having to make decisions the second something pops up in front of you and determine what you wanna do with it. And so that's, that's challenging the typical workflows that somebody had, which means that in many cases, you're having to power down <clears throat> decision-making to the lowest echelon and have faith that the individuals who are making those decisions are making them in an informed manner with what that analyst is producing at the speed of machine. We got to take a quick break, but that's uh, really impressive to, to take down that decision-making time, that analyst time from seven minutes going through, as you said, just gigabytes of data to one minute and kilobytes of data just because they're, they're, it's finding the, the needle in the needle of, of, of needles. And, and I think that's that's really going to make the decision process better, but also faster, which is all, all important. Colonel, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. You're listening to the discussion, Technology and Great Power Competition, sponsored by Palantir on Federal News Network. When leading public and private sector organizations need to make decisions in times of crisis, they rely on Palantir. For over a decade, Palantir has helped solve some of the world's most important problems, from distributing vaccines to millions to deterring national security threats. When the stakes are high, decision makers call Palantir. Palantir, foundational software of tomorrow delivered today. To get started, visit palantir.com. That's palantir.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Technology and Great Power Competition, sponsored by Palantir on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Colonel Joe Callahan, the Fire Support Officer for the Army's 18th Airborne Corps. Now, Colonel, 
Well, Callahan, we were talking previously about this idea of increasing speed to, to decision, fusion data, multiple analysts working at the same time. And really, you mentioned this idea of moving at the speed of machines to get decisions made. And, and people hear that and they think, well, what is that really? How does that work? How do you move at the speed of machines? Because, you know, my computer, your computer you're right now are moving faster than you and I, our brains can work. What does that mean for the Army? And, and what, what's the end result you're really trying to get to? Yeah, good question, Jason. So machine to machine is quite a buzzword. Um, so what machine to machine really means, and it's kind of an overarching strategy more than anything else, is how do we leverage uh, small data packet movement rapidly to from a decision maker giving an authorization or command to a platform that may be striking an enemy, um, while at the same time also taking that data and democratizing it and getting that out to everybody else for shared situational awareness. And so what we've really done is, is we've, we've chose to compress a, a number of things here and then also leverage cloud-based technology. And I'm kind of pulling the thread on that. What that really means is that once a decision is made is how do you get it out rapidly to somebody who can affect the tactical problems that you have? And that's what we're doing. We're using a lot of the, the legacy capability that sits in the DOD but also looking at future communications means, how do we get something out rapidly? What's survivable? How do we use the data that we have today to predict if we lose communications or we lose access to the cloud? How do we, how do we learn to use the data that we have on hand to predict the enemy's movement in the near future using deep analytics in this UI UX we spoke of earlier uh, until a time where we attach to the cloud. Now the cloud plays an important part to all of this uh, for us, because um, the cloud allows you not only to go from one machine to the other, but one machine to many machines. And so by doing that, you're making sure that everybody has that shared situational awareness uh, of what you're actually doing and that they're making decisions commensurate to the decision you just made in order to bring together the, the best aspects of all the joint services rapidly on any kind of tactical operational or strategic problems that we have. Now, the other side to all of this, along with the shared situational awareness, the shared ability to process on something is getting at scale. And so for the last 20 years, we've been hunting guys in caves or looking for people in a crowd. It's, it's more akin to a law enforcement action uh, where we, we keep looking for that salient point of information on the one guy, the one guy wearing the black hat, black hat and the white hats come in and take care of him. Um, Times have changed. Now you're worried about dealing with such things as the Russian Western Military District or say a Chinese incursion into Taiwan. And you're not talking one or two targets, you're talking thousands of targets. And so what this allows us to do with machine to machine is get at scale. And so if you've compressed the decision processes and you've, and you've um, sought efficiencies by communicating decisions and directions via machine to machine communication, then, then, and you've used the cloud to ensure that you can distribute all that information to everybody for shared situation around awareness, then that's allowing you to truly get at problem at scale, specifically when you power down those decisions uh, to the lowest level as possible. Now, one of the unique things out of the Scarlet Dragon series is that it's not just the Department of Defense. We actually work in, uh, work in our IC brethren. Uh, and so what you see really heavily played in Scarlet Dragon is a lot of the concepts and directives coming out of Admiral Sharp's office at the National Geospatial Agency uh, there in, 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 uh, in Spring, uh, Springfield, Virginia. And so what we've not only done is not only compress these mission threads, 
but what we should have done is shorten the distance from the <clears throat> intel combat support agencies that sit at the at the national level to where the shooters are on the ground. And so we call this compressing the sensor to shooter link. Um, very unique aspect of it and really hasn't been done at, at scale before in the past. And so instead of now waiting a day to three days to get a geospatial project uh, product, you're getting it in seconds. And that's allowing us to process all that information rapidly. But it's also driving a lot of dialogue on contextuality. How do we ensure that we're all making those same decisions on the same geospatial products? Because ultimately everybody lives on, on the Earth's surface. You don't live in the air. Some people live on the water, but it's not a nation state. And so really what we're looking at is how do we work contextually with the same information? And that's driving more discussion on data. The inclusion of the IC is it's hugely important and, and it actually gets me to, to the bigger discussion that I want to maybe go down that path a little bit which is that data sharing piece. Uh, typically there's data has been siloed. The army has their data, the Navy has their data, and maybe you share it, maybe you don't, but if you do, it's like, well, I don't really trust you with my data. Well, I don't trust you with my data. How are you getting past that idea that one, we're all on the same team, which we talk about all the time, but sometimes it's easier said than done. And secondly, you have different systems, you have different formats, you have taxonomies, you have the whole data underlying data infrastructure that has to, work because again just as an example the army calls a boat something with a sail and a motor and the navy calls a boat well something with a nuclear powered engine and that's a lot that's those are two big different things yeah yeah so there are a lot of cultural uh hurdles we got across and skull dragon's really given us the, that that venue to have that dialogue <clears throat> and, you know so for instance the discussion, you know, on computer vision, what the Navy calls something may not be the same thing the Army calls it. And so together with the IC, um, what we're doing is we're all coming together through these venues and, and describing what the ontology needs to be for something. Um, the other thing we're doing is, is, is through this venue is that because we're collaborating in, and we're not afraid to fail, we're not, these aren't demos. This isn't something showing the art of the possible. This is training against real world mission essential tasks that we've got to do. We recognize failure as part of the learning process. So we document that failure, go back to our respective uh, uh, headquarters and, and, and re-attack to get through those cultural divides or those mission, you know, those message formats. And so to that point, uh, you know, in 27 years, I've never seen the support that we have now from the IC, from DIA, uh, NGA and others to, to rapidly attack these problems and get through them. I, I mean, they're, Frankly, we spend as much time on the phone and on email with them and in engineering than we do with our with our own DOD brethren. What about the different data platforms that you're using? There's no one data lake that 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 all this information resides in. Uh, again, you're you're dealing with disparate databases. Is this the piece of the cloud that comes in? As long as maybe as well as some APIs that are need to be written. So the Navy system and the Army system can talk easily or the IC system and the Marine system can talk more easily? Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a really complex question. So we're looking at everything from federated cloud operations to you know, how are we actually using convolutional neural network algorithms to, to do you know, transfer-based learning um, at scale across the wide architecture. And so nothing's written on this. Um, we're, we're, we're actively uh, working our way through 
what makes a lot of sense. Now, to the messaging formats um, and what the actual data is, you know, it's, it's quite interesting. You know, 20 years ago, we had a lot of this worked out with what we call K-series and J-series messages. And so we've actively in, uh, involved a, an Army Enterprise License Program from Sierra Nevada called TRACS, which is Tactical Radio Network uh, Extensions, to effectively act as a Rosetta Stone for us and to rapidly translate that data around. But what has never been thought through are JSONs and GeoJSONs, uh, you know, the actual JavaScript object notations that, that may exist in these, in these data lakes. And so again, through need and necessity, we're, we're defining those right now with all our active partners in these data lakes. Is this idea that eventually you get to something like data as a service where you can just call up the data you need? And again, a lot of that is going to be dependent on a security issue, roles and responsibilities, as I like to call it. You know, Colonel O'Callaghan has the ability to see this data, but can't change the data. Or you have the ability to see the data and change the data. Is that that's all going to be part of this, if you will, process this this new infrastructure that has to kind of underlie the speed to decision, the machine, the machine uh, efforts that we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. And you know, the interesting thing is, um, what also further really colors that is discussion of, of collaboration. And so, if you looked at the legacy cops, it was Bob is allowed to see these products for Bob. Now we're talking about Bob having to be able to interact with Judy over here in a different service and how does he transfer that information back and forth. And so we're using uh, the, the Scarlet Dragon you know, training venue really as a chance to, to uh, educate industry on what we need. So we can build truly an economy uh, of different organizations coming together and not just simply delivering a product based off of you know, a three-year development cycle that, that yielded some KPPs or KSAs directing something. Colonel, I very much enjoyed our conversation. We're just about out of time. Before I let you go, I, I just have to ask, as you've gone through these exercises and you said uh, Scarlet Dragon's been going on now for about a year, just over a year, and you've learned each time, where do you see this idea of AI-enabled machine-to-machine learning going? When you talk about tactical capabilities and the importance of data, what, when we talk about this again in three years from now, five years from now, what's your hope? What is your expectation? Yeah, Jason, I think what you're going to see a year from now is a fundamentally different workflow, workforce uh, in the, you know, the tactical formations. And that's really AI literate uh, capability or AI literate decision makers, uh, people who are treating data as strategic um, as strategic commodities, much in, in line with how Dep Deputy Secretary Hicks has, has, has started her accelerating data initiative. Um, and, and together with that, we're really gonna get ourselves to the point that you'll see the US military truly executing data-centric warfare. And I know that's been a buzzword for quite a while, data-centric warfare, but it's, it's gaining a lot of momentum and it's proven by uh, exercises like Scarlet Dragon. Uh, sir, we're out of time for today, so let me thank my guest. Colonel Joe O'Callaghan is the fire support officer for the Army's 18th Airborne Corps. Colonel O'Callaghan, I really much enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time. Great. Thanks a lot, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Technology and Great Power Competition, sponsored by Palantir on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Palantir. Thank you for listening to the discussion Technology and Great Power Competition, sponsored by Palantir on Federal News Network.
When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission.